Fired Up show starts right now. Welcome, everybody. Welcome right back here to Fired Up on WJMS Media. This is Steve, and we're about to dive into all of the weirdness going on in Washington politics for this week. Uh, I choose those words carefully because um, as I, I pay attention to uh, what's coming down the political news wires uh, across my radar. Sometimes I just read what I'm, I'm seeing and just wonder why didn't I decide to do a podcast on flower arrangement or you know making really good cookies because the political scene has just been so crazy this week. Where to begin? Well, let's start with uh, the fact that uh, on uh, Tuesday of this week, two of our favorite uh, U.S. House of Representative uh, members, Lauren Boebert and Marjorie Taylor Greene, uh, specifically Representative Greene, brought to the floor of the House uh, a, an, an article of impeachment against President Joe Biden. Let that sink in for a second. So they are seeking, uh, the Republican Party in the House is seeking to, uh, to push uh, impeachment articles on President Biden uh, for uh, actions uh, not taken or you know, missteps at the southern border, along with his handling of uh, immigration uh, in general and illegal immigration uh, specifically uh, at the southern border. Now, you know, it's it's one thing to uh, to bring an impeachment of uh, the sitting president. Uh, you know, it has to be for uh, so-called high crimes and misdemeanors. And, you know, in in hearing their presentation of the articles of impeachment they are bringing forward, as well as reading uh, materials on what exactly they're charging, uh, I and, and I'm not a lawyer. Let's let's clear that one up first. Um, I find it challenging to see where the high crime uh, or misdemeanor is in how uh, President Biden has handled uh, immigration uh, in, in um, the two years that he's been in office. Uh, last time I looked at uh, the uh, information screens, uh, illegal immigration uh, across the southern border has decreased uh, by a, a substantial figure since the uh, Title 42 uh, rules that were put in place under the Trump administration uh, during the COVID pandemic uh, expired uh, uh, early last month. So, you know, it, I, I, I'm hard pressed and, and I'm struggling with my words here because it, it's, it's so incredulous. And frankly, uh, I get the vibe that, you know, it, it is a, a child childlike, uh, childish uh, response by the Republicans to the two impeachments of Donald Trump. And we'll get to those in a second because it's a related story. But, you know, it, it is clear and they actually told us 
back in January that you know they were going to focus on the Bidens, both President Biden and his son Hunter Biden, uh, as as part of their agenda for the coming term under House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. Now, the Hunter Biden issue has been mostly, if not completely, uh, made moot by the fact that uh, the, the final terms uh, came out of the Department of Justice with regard to the investigation of Hunter Biden. And you know, while there are some tax issues that he will have to deal with, uh, the overall uh, criminal investigation about an alleged involvement uh, in Ukraine with uh, Ukrainian President Zelensky and Burisma and all of that uh, was actually uh, eliminated or squashed. So the, the idea here, the, the sense here, the vibe I'm getting is that this is a vindictive uh, uh, attack on President Biden by the Republican uh, conservative majority in the House uh, in uh, retaliation for the two impeachments of former President Donald Trump uh, for, you know, one, uh, his involvement uh, with Ukraine in terms of, of uh, getting or trying to get uh, evidence against a then political rival in candidate Joe Biden uh, and for uh, his involvement in the January 6th insurrection. Uh, the Republicans have, have stated clearly that you know, they intended to go after, uh, as, as they put it, quote, the Biden crime family, close quote, uh, for, you know, for these acts uh, when they came to power. And you know, the, the impeachment articles uh, brought to the floor by Representative Green seemed to be the next phase of that plan as far as the Republicans go. So that was kind of a mind-dizzying uh, thing to watch and read uh, over the course of the week. Uh, we'll keep tabs on it um, and, and let you know where it goes. I will say that the, um, the House voted uh, 219 to 208 uh, along party lines, as expected, uh, to refer the measure to both the Homeland Security and Judiciary Committees on Thursday. Uh, now, realize that both of these committees are, in fact, uh, controlled by Republican uh, congressional representatives, so you know, there will be more of a, a circus show coming out of those two committees as they address the the articles that have been presented to them. Uh, it should be noted that uh, Kevin McCarthy, Speaker of the House, uh, is really uh, feeling the effects of this. In fact, uh, CBS News called it in an article they, they published the other day, uh, the latest headache for House Speaker Kevin McCarthy uh, caused by conservative hardliners. Uh, as you may recall, uh, in order to become speaker, Kevin McCarthy had to cut deals with uh, roughly 20 members of the uh, hardline conservative wing, the MAGA wing of the Republican Party, 
to gain their votes uh, in order for him to become Speaker of the House. Uh, he had to give up some things. Uh, you know, obviously, we've talked about you know how under the the rules that have been written uh, and the deal that was made, uh, it, it only takes one uh, representative of the House to uh, call for a vote to vacate the chair. In other words, to call for a vote of no confidence in Speaker McCarthy and oust him from his position. What it really means, and you know, even you know, as here in in late June, we still don't have all the details of the uh, agreements or the deal made uh, from you know Speaker McCarthy with the uh, conservative holdouts uh, to become speaker. Uh, he, you know, he his position is you know always uh, kind of hanging by a thread, and you know this is no exception. According to the article from CBS, uh, he was not informed uh, that uh, these articles of impeachment were going to be brought. And just by by way of clarification, going back through you know, what I said on it, uh, it wasn't Representative Green that brought the articles to the floor. It was Representative Boebert. Uh, Lauren Boebert uh, was the one who announced uh, the the articles uh, or, or you know brought them to the floor for consideration under what's called a privileged resolution, which means that rather than uh, have it go through uh, committee, it would come immediately to the floor of the House for a vote as to whether or not to uh, to impeach uh, President Biden. Now, of course, once you know if. If and once an impeachment uh, indictment is brought out of the House, uh, it would go to the Senate where uh, the trial would happen. And, you know, uh, of course, the Senate being controlled uh, by Democrats, it is highly unlikely that there would be a, an, a uh, uh, conviction under the impeachment articles uh, of President Biden. But that doesn't diminish the chaos that it throws uh, the House of Representatives in uh, and as evidenced by uh, a vote that happened on Thursday where they voted uh, 219 to 208 you know, along party lines uh, and referred the measures to both the Homeland Security and Judiciary Committees which is the proper process for the House to follow. Uh, it is these two committees that would uh, actually conduct the investigation and you know, flesh out the articles that would be brought for a, a vote by the full House before heading to the Senate uh, if, if passed from the House uh, for, for trial and you know, any possible uh, conviction under the articles. Uh, so, you know, as I said, you know, McCarthy had expressed frustration, and this is you know, cited in the article, uh, with Lauren Boebert calling her effort to impeach uh, Mr. Biden premature, uh, quoting uh, Speaker McCarthy. She had never told members about it uh, and never talked to me, McCarthy told reporters. Before you put something forward, shouldn't you first talk to the conference about it? Because we're uh, doing investigations, 
Why would you do this? Yes, now there's the question. Uh, the answer to which uh, should be fairly obvious if, if anyone has uh, raised a, a small child uh, to realize that, you know, it is just that level of childish uh, response uh, to, you know, some earlier affront, a.k.a. the Trump impeachments. Uh, and, you know, that's, that's what this is about. It's vindictive. And, you know, many of the things that the uh, House and the 218th Congress um, has been doing with regard to uh, laws that they have uh, uh, reversed or and so forth uh, fall clearly, in, in my opinion, under the rule of vindictiveness. And in, in addition to the articles that they offer against President Biden, uh, they also uh, voted in the House to issue a censure to uh, Representative Adam Schiff uh, for his actions uh, in the first Trump impeachment. Now, realize that this was uh, six years ago, uh, and you know we're just you know coming back around to where they're going to try and punish Adam Schiff for being the chairman of the committee that. Uh, and the the uh, leader of the impeachment trial of Donald Trump, um, you know, it, it it's just why didn't I do a podcast on flower arrangements? <laughs> you know, and and some weeks it's like that. So, but anyway, um, they issued a censure to Adam Schiff for which, uh, in in his remarks and his response. He actually thanked the Republican caucus for uh, for issuing the censure. Uh, basically, you know, he regards it as a badge of honor that you know his political enemies are are so hell bent to get him that they would go to this extent. The article goes on to note that uh, Representative Don Bacon of Nebraska uh, said uh, Boebert's. Uh, bringing articles of impeachment to the floor is, quote, undermining the team, uh, and it, it's his expectation that the resolution will be tabled. Uh, he said, uh, quoting, I don't worry just about the team, uh, and he said on Wednesday, it's about Congress, it's about our country. Impeachment shouldn't be something that is frivolous and treated in that way, and I, I have to agree with that sentiment. Uh, what the Republicans are doing uh, with these these articles of impeachment against President Biden is basically cheapening the entire process. And if, if you don't think that that's the case, uh, there's another uh, story that has uh, made the news. And uh, it is this one came uh, from, I believe it's Real Clear Politics. Um, but the, the article uh, came out on Sunday, and it, the headline is, Trump's big wish comes true, his impeachments get wiped clean. And, you know, it, it, it says, and it starts off quoting Speaker McCarthy as saying, I think it's appropriate, uh, just as I thought before, that you should expunge it because it never should have gone through. 
you know, representatives Marjorie Taylor Greene and Elise Stefanik have in, have introduced resolutions to expunge the two impeachments. Uh, it, it is it is clear that President Trump's impeachment was nothing more than a witch hunt that needs to be expunged from our history. I'm proud to work with Chairwoman Elise Stefanik on our joint resolutions to correct the record and clear President Trump's good name, Green said in a statement. Okay, really? <laughs> There's so much in that statement. Um, so, to get back to my point, um, you know, the the concept of impeachment uh, is among the highest, if not the highest, sanction that an elected official uh, can be held to. Uh, yet, here we have uh, the Republican Party, uh, let me be specific, uh, certain segments of the Republican Party, uh, using this as, you know, kind of a take your ball and back and go home tactic uh, that, you know, uh, as, as, Speaker McCarthy kind of alluded to, uh, does a disservice to the institution of the U.S. House of Representatives. Uh, it, it is something that, uh, you know, history will look back on and say, you know, either words to the effect of what were they thinking or, you know, what, what the belief was wrong with these people uh, as they look at how the the rules and and laws and and protocols that you know have been followed uh, for 247 years uh, have now come down to being a child's game. So you know we'll keep an eye on this. We'll let you know uh, what transpires. We'll keep watch on this uh, you know Biden impeachment and uh, bring you the details as they become known so let's let's move on to another subject that falls into the why are we here uh what's going on category um as you're aware uh if you were anywhere near uh a television or you know internet over the last uh two weeks you know that former president trump uh has uh been indicted for a second time uh, and this time uh, by Special Prosecutor Jack Smith. And, you know, it, it now adds to his uh, record of being, you know, indicted more times than he was elected. Um, but there's an article that came out and it talks about the uh, lead in the polls that the former president uh, is enjoying in spite of the fact that he is you know, now a uh, twice indicted, uh, once uh, found liable in uh, sexual harassment and defamation lawsuit. Uh, and I guess you could say that, you know, uh, Donald Trump walks with the angels in, in some form or fashion when it comes to the legal system. Uh, but what is uh, transpiring is the fact that uh, his lead over the field of uh, Republican candidates for the Republican nom nomination for president uh, is uh, actually grown over the last uh, week to 10 days. And the article uh, that I'm citing uh, 
the headline says Trump's lead grows over DeSantis after new indictment. The poll uh, considers what indictment? Uh, so the the article and it's a short one, so I'm going to read it to you. Uh, it was published on uh, Sunday, the 25th. Donald Trump's federal indictment doesn't seem to be hurting him in the polls. In fact, his lead over rival Ron DeSantis is only growing, according to a new national poll from NBC News. Uh, quote, this is still Donald Trump's party. The federal criminal indictment did nothing, changed absolutely nothing in this. Uh, and this was uh, quoted from Chuck Todd on NBC's Meet the Press uh, television show. Quote, Donald Trump's lead has nearly doubled. He had a 15-point lead over Ron DeSantis in a multi-candidate field in April. Uh, it has now ballooned to 29 points. The new poll has Trump at 51% in the GOP primary, up from 46% in April. Meanwhile, DeSantis is at a measly 22%, down from 31% in April. Quote, for the first time in history, a former president has been indicted, and we can't find a marker in this survey that it's had an impact with his standing. Uh, and this is quoted from Bill McInturf, uh, one of the pollsters in, uh, on the survey. Trump may be gaining ground in the primary, but the new poll still has him four points behind President Joe Biden in a potential general election. So what we what we glean from this is that apparently to his hardcore uh, faithful, Donald Trump can do no wrong. Uh, he continues to live up to that statement he made in 2015 uh, or 2016 where he said, you know, he could shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue and not lose any of his followers. Apparently, that was a prophetic statement. Uh, and, and it begs the question for Republican voters. And I realize, I realize that when you're talking about primaries and a general election, you're talking about two different animals here. Um, so it, it may be that, you know, he is showing uh, some strength in the primary. Uh, he may, unless, you know, something stranger happens, uh, become the Republican nominee, and, and all current indicators seem to think that's the case. But how that translates into his performance in a general election where he has to appeal to a majority of the American voters in order to become president, uh, it, it still remains to be seen. However, uh, it does seem that you know there is some kind of blessing uh, orbiting over uh, the former president, where you know he you know to at least his his hardcore followers can do no wrong even when he's done wrong, uh, and it it's it's mind boggling to me, not so much that you know Trump is you know dancing this dance uh, in front of us, but that the American people, particularly at, at this point in the process, the Republican voters are still maintaining such strong loyalty to him, even though you know we have seen um, evidence presented, we have 
have, you know, seen, you know, what Jack Smith brought out in his indictment, uh, which, as we talked about, you know, in last week's show, was extremely detailed, uh, extremely meticulous, and yet still, uh, Donald Trump seems to suffer no real ill effects. Now, granted, he is still behind Joe Biden, but, you know, if, you know, as we've talked about polls in the past, uh, four percentage points behind, you know, President Biden is, as most pollsters will say, within uh, a reasonable margin of error. Uh, so for for all intents and purposes, uh, he is you know, effectively tied with President Biden in terms of, you know, if the vote were to happen, who would be the the final winner? But, you know, it, it still begs the question to Republicans, what would it take to, you know, knock this guy off of this pedestal you've placed him on? Uh, what would he have to do? You know, is there some evil that he could commit that would change, you know, by and large, the Republican voters uh, and particularly, again, those voters in the Republican Party who remain loyal to President Trump uh, that would change their minds and and perhaps have them elect uh, a different candidate for the 2024 uh, presidential general election. You know, it, and it, as I said, it it's something that I, I've spent a considerable amount of time as I do my research and as I read the articles and, and listen to the, the podcasts and the, the TV shows and so forth that, you know, what, you know, what would it take? What is the straw that would break that camel's back? Uh, and, you know, if, if you have a sense of, you know, what perhaps it would take or conversely, if you want to, you know, express your opinion as to why, you favor Donald Trump, even in light of all of the news that, you know, seems to be so negative about him, uh, you know, send an email to the show, radio at yahoo.com. I would love to hear, uh, you know, the explanations from, you know, Trump supporters as to what exactly it is, what's the magic that uh, this individual has that will make you overlook uh, things that, you know, have have been political disasters for candidates uh, throughout American history. So, as I said, uh, send me an email. It's firedupradio at yahoo.com. Uh, let me know what, why uh, you are remaining a Trump supporter uh, in light of the things that, you know, he has been alleged or uh, accused or in in the case of the assault and defamation case convicted of uh, why does that not make any difference to you as to uh, selecting him to be your guy to lead the country for the next four years uh, it, it is you know the one of the mysteries of the ages I imagine and historians will likely be talking about this for many 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 years to come but, you know, it, it is still uh, all part of the strangeness of this uh, divided political environment 
that we find ourselves in. Um, you know, and you know, I, I've I've talked about this on prior shows uh, that you know the the American electorate is uh, almost exactly split down the middle between um, you know conservative and liberal, uh, you know progressive and you know the the extremes uh, of the right and the left, and you know it, it is something that is is going to be the subject uh, of historians conversations as I said for you know generations to come as history will try to help us figure out uh, how we got to where we are uh, how we work our way through it and and what the final outcome will be so you know we you know, we will continue to track this um, it, it is a, a subject uh, that I find very fascinating uh, in, in trying to gain an understanding uh, into the mind of uh, voters, particularly Republican voters, uh, in, in regards to how they feel about former President Trump. And let me not just, uh, just focus on Republicans here. Um, Democrats, you know, have a, a similar conundrum in we have a president of the United States, Joe Biden, who by uh, the measure of presidential accomplishments uh, in his first two years has, you can, you can argue and, and, and disapprove of the man all you want, but he has managed to accomplish uh, some very major bipartisan victories. Uh, he has, uh, you know, rode shepherd on you know a a turnaround uh and growth in the american economy uh his his efforts are keeping unemployment at historically low levels uh even the the immigration quote problem close quote they try to hang around his neck uh he has shown you know uh leadership in a a remarkable reduction in you know, the, the illegal immigration, uh, the, the removal of massive quantities of fentanyl from crossing the southern border. Uh, he has been, by what, you know, by just about any measure you can think of, uh, you know, successful as president of the United States. And yet, you know, there is such vitriol in those that are positioned against him uh, that you know, it, it just begs the question as to you know what does he need to do in order to win over, uh, you know, a a clear majority of the American voters. So we're going to talk about a couple of things along those lines uh, with regard to Republican and Democrat uh, actions uh, as we come back after the break. You're listening to the Fired Up Podcast right here on WJMS Media. This is Steve. We'll be right back with more after this break. We're often influenced by what we see and hear online. Researchers say Black communities have been specifically targeted online by bad actors that post false information about cultural issues, attempting to increase divisions in Black communities, influence how we vote, and influence public opinions. Here's how to stop the spread of cultural disinformation. Get information from reliable sources like experts, researchers, or organizations. 
Make sure you're not misled by information or quotes shared out of context. Check the account. Was it recently created or has zero followers? It may be a troll bot. If a story seems suspicious, don't share it with your followers. Together, we can stay informed and empowered. This public service announcement is from the National Black Cultural Information Trust. Learn more at NBCIT.org. And we're back. We're back with the Fired Up podcast right here on WJMS Media. And this is Steve, and I am your host. And we're all strapped in as we continue on this crazy review of uh, the last week or so in the American political arena. So we spent the first segment talking about, um, you know, former President Trump and, and all of that going on. But he is not the only uh, member of, you know, or, or entity with Republican ties that has made news headlines. Um, according to an article in many different sources, but I'm quoting from the Chicago Sun-Times, uh, and this is in regard to Supreme Court Justice uh, Alito, and the headline is Justice Alito's Undisclosed Fishing Trip Brings More Discredit to the Supreme Court. Uh, the, the, the first paragraph uh, goes into Americans want the Supreme Court to be the place where justices dispassionately and thoughtfully rule on cases that affect their lives. Uh, the latest reporting by ProPublica undermines that confidence even further. And, you know, it, it goes on to lead with uh, uh, the question, perhaps this is the question U.S. senators should have been asking Supreme Court nominees all along. Quote, how many undisclosed lavish perks do you plan to accept from billionaires with business before the court? And if, if you remember the, uh, the confirmation hearings of now Justices Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, and Barrett, you remember that there were uh, many hours of grueling questions about uh, a wide variety of subjects, uh, you know, especially on uh, areas of, you know, abortion and women's right to choose, uh, civil rights and civil liberties, and so forth. Um, you know, the, the question posed in the article was uh, perhaps one that should have been asked. Uh, do you plan to accept uh, lavish perks from billionaires that would have business before the court? Uh, because as we've learned in the past week, um, Justice Samuel Alito uh, has joined the uh, club with uh, Justice Clarence Thomas uh, in those Supreme Court, sitting Supreme Court justices, mind you, that have received uh, lavish perks from uh, billionaires who subsequent to that uh, then had business before the court uh, in, in scenarios that the, the rules and, and the procedures and the precedents say, you know, a, a judge should recuse themselves uh, if there is a, a conflict of interest or a perceived conflict of interest. Uh, and neither Justice Thomas nor Justice Alito uh, has 
has recused themselves in any of the cases uh, involving the people uh, we're going to talk about who have uh, given them you know, lavish uh, gifts, uh, particularly, uh, you know, multi uh, hundred thousand dollar trips and vacations and, and so forth. So as the article states, and again, this is from the Chicago Sun-Times, and it came out on Sunday, um, and it, it goes on to say, as we learned earlier about Justice Clarence Thomas, Justice Samuel Alito sees no problem with wallowing in luxury, luxurious amenities from billionaires with business before the court. Uh, in the most recent revelation by ProPublica, the public learned that Alito took a freebie 2008 trip to an Alaskan luxury fishing lodge that charged more than $1,000 per day, getting there on a private jet provided by hedge fund billionaire Paul Singer, who later had court cases in front of the Supreme Court asking for rulings that could and did, in fact, further enrich him, cases from which Alito did not recuse himself. Uh, it's a, and it's a similar story to what uh, ProPublica reported in April that Justice Thomas, for more than two decades, took undisclosed, undisclosed globe-trotting luxury trips that were hosted or paid for by Harlan Crow, a Dallas businessman who is a big-time Republican donor and who also had business before the court. Uh, Clarence Thomas's lax ethics are a blow to the Supreme Court and, um, and America, along for junkets with both, both Thomas and Alito was Leonard Leo, the longtime leader of the conservative Federalist Society, an organization that has been instrumental in picking nominees for the Supreme Court. Uh, Leo organized the Alaska trip. Neither Thomas nor Alito reported their junkets on disclosure forms. And, you know, that reporting uh, that's required of all federal employees uh, to uh, disclose any uh, gifts or financial transactions or dealings uh, greater than a thousand dollars in and you know gives rise to the need to recuse themselves uh, if the individuals that they receive these gifts from had business before their court or their agency uh, so you know, and, and it, it's a, a part of a long train of history, apparently, with the Supreme Court. The late Justice Antonin uh, Scalia, who blithely took nice hunting trips with people who had interest in cases before the high court. Um, and the article asks, who says all of that is okay? The justices do. There are no uh, or very lax uh, almost to the point of non-existence, uh, ethics standards uh, that the Supreme Court is held to, unlike uh, justices in the lower courts uh, and other you know, federal employees uh, you know, and, and elected officials. Um, you know, as the article says, meanwhile, all sorts of federal workers and local politicians are expected to fill out financial disclosure forms. Wouldn't they love the ability to announce that in their cases, it's no longer necessary? Uh, and, you know, the, the public opinion of the Supreme Court has suffered as a result of this and other uh, things such as decisions that have come down 
from the Supreme Court. According to a June Gallup survey, um, the uh, public confidence in the court is at a historic low of 25 percent, uh, you know, uh, and, you know, it, it is a very, very uh, serious uh, situation when the confidence of the American people is, you know, at this historically low value uh, over an entity that has so much sway over our everyday lives. Uh, the article uh, continues. In recent years, the Supreme Court has handed down rulings such as Citizens United that have had the effect of helping those with ultra deep pockets pour money into the political campaigns of candidates who, if victorious, will be in a position to make those donors even richer. In their so-called originalist interpretations of the Constitution, do these justices believe the framers' intent was to make the United States resemble the monarchies of Europe where the reins of power were held by the rich and entitled? You know, um, Alito gave a defense uh, that many find troubling. Uh, his, his defense included him saying there was a vacant seat on a private jet that would have cost him more than $100,000 one way if he paid for it himself. Now, it, it raises the question, did he ask himself why he was offered that seat instead of someone who was in no position to make rulings that could further enrich a billionaire? Uh, try, try persuading uh, someone on you know, a... a another private airline try to persuade an, an ordinary entity uh, such as in the article lists uh, the CTA which I assume is the Chicago Transit Authority uh, to allow you to hop aboard without paying because there are unused seats uh, moreover the article continues does Alito not think average Americans would love an invitation to a quote comfortable but rustic facility close quote that cost more than a thousand dollars a day back in 2008 but who could they do favors for uh, Alito's remarks were not off the cuff when people sometimes fumble their stated positions but rather in a world Wall Street Journal op-ed that the newspaper published even before the report from ProPublica came out so you know it, it it's clear that you know this this was you know obviously um, an intentional uh, thing on the part of Justice Alito. Senator Dick Durbin, a Democrat of Illinois, said after the Alito re revelation, there was something rotten going on in the Supreme Court of the United States uh, of America. He also calls Alito's defense laughable. Alito said he had no way of knowing Paul Singer was behind the cases that came in front of him or uh, on the court. But Singer's name was repeatedly in stories and headlines in news media reports about those cases. Uh, in, in an ironic twist, uh, Alito has complained nobody, practically nobody, is defending the court. Well, maybe if the court let everyone share in posh billionaire paid trips, the justices might get all sorts of enthusiastic support. You know, it, it's, um, I am a huge Mel Brooks uh, film fan, and one of my favorite Mel Brooks movies is History of the World. Uh, there's a line in that that I think applies here 
that you know just kind of encapsulates it and I'm going to paraphrase it a little bit but to to set it up in the movie Mel Brooks is playing uh, Louis the 14th the king of France and you know after uh, mistreating a a female member of the 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 court the French uh, court um, Brooks turns he looks at the camera directly with kind of a wry smile on his face and he says it's good to be the king well I think we can take the same sentiment uh, change the wording a little bit and you know make it it's good to be Supreme Court Justice or you know it's good to be a Republican nominee uh, it, it seems that um, you know particularly in the Republican Party uh, I, I I won't exclude the fact that there are some Democrats uh, and some independent uh, people who have uh, exercised similar discretions but it, it seems that the Republicans own the franchise these days on um, you know, capitalizing on opportunities to enrich themselves or uh, you know, creating and passing laws that benefit the, the elite of their constituents uh, and you know the rest of us are you know just left uh, standing in the corner kicking rocks uh, you know so the the downshot of this is uh, this requires us as American voters uh, it requires us as you know citizens of this country to stand up and make our voices heard and saying look this this cannot stand this has to change uh, if you know legislators uh, at the federal level or at the state level or at the local level are turning a blind eye to these blatant cases of you know corruption and influence peddling then it's it's time that we uh, march to the polls and you know show these people the door you know it, it is you know something that if if our system of justice is going to have any meaning uh, and is going to have any relevance uh, we need to get back to uh, a time where that system was you know respected by you know a large swath of the American public uh, not 25 percent you know it should be you know four times that it should be three times that it should be 80 percent 90 percent and you know the the more that these politicians these political appointees and all of the the hangers-on that orbit in their circles uh, be made aware that you know their days are numbered and elections are coming and there's going to be some changes made you know it's it's clear that you know there is a sense among some people in circles of leadership in this country that you know the rules don't apply the laws don't apply you know ethics what are those so you know it, it's up to us to you know make the changes that are going to restore our faith in our systems of government um, you know we we should expect that our judges uh, at at every level from Supreme Court down to you know magistrate uh, down to your local magistrate 
recognize that the position they hold is a position of trust and it is a position of, um, of legal authority. And in, in order for that to uh, work, they have to comport themselves uh, above reproach. They need to follow the rules and the rules are clear. Um, even you know, for Supreme Court justices, there are rules regarding recusal from cases where there is an actual conflict of interest or even a perceived conflict of interest. Uh, and you know, that has been exercised in the past by, by former uh, Supreme Court justices. We need to get back to those days. We need to tell our elected officials that you know, one of the questions that they need to ask is you know, the question that I, I led this segment off in, how many undisclosed lavish perks do you plan to accept from billionaires with business before the court? That needs to be as important a question on their position on, you know, uh, Dobbs and Roe v. Wade and Citizens United and all these other landmark cases that shape the 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 way this country functions. Uh, it, it's high time that the American people uh, really, really make their presence felt so that, you know, it, it is clear that if if our politicians are not going to follow the rules and the guidelines and the laws, then they are not going to be our politicians any longer, that we will vote them out of office. And, you know, if that means, you know, that one party or the other loses, uh, you know, a monopoly or loses control of a House or a Senate, uh, you know, and, and, and their, their opposite party gains control, uh, so be it. So be it. You know, we need to set the standard that uh, having an elected position uh, is a privilege and it is one that uh, deserves to be treated with the utmost respect and highest ethical standards. And if that's not going to be the case, then we will find new people to occupy those seats. And if it means we lose in a majority for a period of time, so be it. Uh, the end result is much more important than having, you know, 15, 20, 30 year politicians uh, who get reelected just because they smile nice on a campaign photo. So sorry for the rant, but that's just the way it is and the way it has to be. So, you know, it, it, it's clear that our political system needs a change, needs an overhaul. So we'll we'll keep track on what happens with Justice Alito uh, we'll, of course, keep our ear out for any updates with Justice Thomas. Um, I, I've heard a rumor, and I'm, I'm checking into it, that uh, at least one other of the conservative justices on the bench uh, has an issue that uh, is starting to generate some, some talk in the media. But we'll, we'll keep our ear out for that and let you know. All right, so moving from that... Uh, to to the last subject on my list, uh, and it's one that I've talked about before. If you have been listening to me for any length of time, you know that I am a, a fan and a proponent of having more than just two uh, major political parties uh, in this country. Uh, granted, yes, there are 
uh, multiple parties uh, in in the United States, um, you know, Green Party, Communist Party, Socialist Party, you know, whatever, Weekend Party, who knows? There are all kinds of political parties, but there are two major political parties. There are the Democrats and there are the Republicans. I have been an advocate for many years that what this country needs is to have multiple uh, uh, major parties. If we look around uh, the, the other Western democracies uh, in the world, um, you know, for example, I think last time I looked, Israel had 11 parties. Uh, Britain has like six. Uh, you know, Sweden has four or five. Germany has you know, six or seven. Uh, these are countries that are democracies, that have functioning democracies, and the way they function is that all of these uh, parties have to work together. They have to form coalitions. They have to compromise. And what that ends up doing is it ends up giving the, the voters, the constituents, uh, a true voice in their government. Right now, it is in the United States, it is Democrats and it is Republicans. Well, there's a new uh, uh, group. There is a, a potential party that seems to be forming uh, around the country. And they popped up in the news this week um, on Tuesday. And uh, there was an opinion written by Bill Press, who was an opinion contributor for The Hill. And, you know, he says uh, he's, he's actually expressing concerns to this, this new third party that, that has appeared on the horizon. And it's called No Labels. Um, and, you know, in, in his opinion piece, he, he writes, you know, by nature, Democrats are worry warts. They worry about everything. Now their big worry is about 2024. They worry that Donald Trump, with all of his baggage, could still get reelected. Or they worry that Trump might stumble and be replaced by Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, who could prove a more effective candidate and a more dangerous president. But for 2024, according to Bill Press, their worry is misdirected. Um, you know, he's saying they aren't wrong to worry. They're just wrong to worry about Trump, DeSantis, uh, Senator Tim Scott, uh, Ambassador Nikki Haley, or any of the other Republican candidates. The real danger in 2024, he asks, is not the Republican opposition, but a misguided gang of once upon a time Democrats who call themselves No Labels. Uh, no Labels was founded in 2010 and uh, by, by current CEO Nancy Jacobson, wife of former disaffected Bill and Hillary Clinton pollster Mark Penn, with the goal of being a refuge for politicians of both parties not always willing to toe the party line. So far, so good. No Labels was instrumental in forming the Bipartisan Problem Solvers Caucus in the House of Representatives, which has been a positive force, especially in tricky budget negotiations. But now, No Labels has ventured into dangerous territory. It's announced plans to raise $70 million to run an independent Republican-Democrat ticket in 2024, a so-called unity ticket. 
Uh, now, it's already qualified for the ballot in five states and expects to be on the ballot in 20 states by the end of the year. Now, why are they doing this? Uh, they argue that major parties have gone to the extremes. The Democratic Party has moved too far to the left, they say, and the Republican Party has moved too far to the right. All right? I, I will agree with both of those points. Plus, most Americans don't want to see a rematch between Trump and Biden, so voters need a third choice, the chance to vote for a centrist candidate. But the author cites uh, that although this may sound like a good idea, it's actually uh, pretty or, or completely nutty, to use his words. Um, he talks about, in the article, um, searching for a centrist candidate who's willing to work with members of the opposition to get stuff done. Well, as he cites, we already have one. He's sitting in the Oval Office right now. He may not get much credit, but Joe Biden's already negotiated and signed major bipartisan deals on COVID-19 relief, infrastructure, gun control, the Chips and Science Act, and the deficit deal. Yet instead of validating and lining up support for the man who's delivered on everything they they pretend to stand for, no labels is out to undermine him. And he lays out a pretty compelling case uh, based on recent history. Um, independent candidates uh, have never won a, an election. Uh, we had, you know, going back, he, he picks a few uh, names you may know. George Wallace in 1968, John Anderson in 1980, Ralph Nader in 2000, Ross Perot in 1992 and 96, Gary Johnson in 2016, Jill Stein in 2016, and all of them uh, accomplished one major thing. They took votes away from the incumbent. You know, for example, Ross Perot helped elect Bill Clinton in 1992, and Nader handed the 2000 election to George W. Bush. In 2020, um, Biden won six of seven states where the margin of victory was three points or less. Georgia, Arizona, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Nevada, and Michigan. Even a weak third-party candidate, as he states, in 2024 would put those 79 potential electoral votes for Biden at risk. So, you know, he, he goes on to say, there may come a time for a viable third-party candidate, and Lord knows I, for one, hope so, uh, but not now. The, proposed, the prospect of a second Trump presidency is a threat to our democracy. This is not the time to play games. No time, no support, no money, no votes for no labels. Now, um, you know, he made some points in there that, that I agree with. Uh, and his, his arguments uh, of, of historical precedent um, are clear. And, you know, it, it does say that a, a third-party candidate running in the presidential election is a dangerous prospect. However, I would counter what he is saying with the following. Third-party candidates are a, a strong third-party that is built from the grassroots, from the ground up, is something that this country definitely needs. Um, you know, coming at it from the top down uh, is problematic. But if we have you know viable third parties 
in uh, state legislatures, uh, in, in local and towns, uh, and you know, in, in down-ballot races uh, in, in many areas of this country. The end result is that will bring a strong, solid base of you know, clear and consistent leadership and the need for the two major parties, Democrats and Republicans, to have to work with this third party. And I've, I've outlined this before in my show. For you know, a, a third party to work in the House and Senate in Washington, D.C., and, and the current makeup of the House and Senate is the perfect point to illustrate this with. Right now, in the House of Representatives, the Republicans have, I believe, a five-seat majority. In the Senate, the Democrats have a uh, one- or two-seat majority in the Senate. If there was a third party in place that had 10 seats in the House, or maybe even you know, 15 seats in the House, and had uh, you know, 5 or, or 10 seats in the Senate, Neither Democrats nor Republicans would have a majority. In order for anything to get done, they would have to work with that third party. They would have to compromise. And as a result of that compromise, the voice of the American people would be heard with much more effect and much more volume. And that's the whole point. The point of having a viable third party is... To, to make the democratic system work the way it's supposed to, a system of compromise and cooperation. If one side uh, can convince you know, the, the, the 15 seats in the third party house uh, group in the, in the House of Representatives, they get to pass their legislation. If one side can convince, you know, the the six or seven uh, third party seats in the Senate, then they carry the day on that vote. As a result, those compromise positions, that third party becomes not only an arbiter of balance between the other two, but it also serves as a conduit for the American people's voice to be recognized, to be heard and to be listened to. And that is what our democracy is supposed to be about. So while no labels may not be the right vehicle, what no labels is, is definitely the right way for our government, for our elected officials, for our process to go forward uh, into the future. And as I've said it you know, many times on this show, we need to be working starting at our local levels. We need to be finding and identifying you know, viable and solid third-party candidates and get them elected, get them in the system. And then we need to elevate that to the state houses, to the state senates and the state representatives. Get them elected, get them in the system, get them going. From there, we can now begin to build uh, a national uh, third-party presence uh, in the states by you know elevating you know the the talented and the most worthy of these third party candidates up to the position of US congressperson or US senator 
That's how you make a, a third party uh, work here in this country. So we're going to you know, keep an eye on what happens with no labels, but we're also going to continue this discussion, particularly as we move toward 2024. Uh, it, it is something, as I said, I am a big proponent of having more than just a binary choice when it comes down to our political leadership. So that being said, we'll wrap our show for this week. Thank you all for listening. Sorry if I got a little bit ranty, but uh, I'm very passionate on this third party thing. Um, you know, please, if you have comments, uh, if you agree or disagree, send an email to the show, firedupradio at yahoo.com. I look forward to hearing your comments. That's going to do it for this week. Thank you all for listening. As always, I greatly appreciate it. And we're going to turn it around and do it all over again in seven days. Mm-hmm.